This is the Historian's Podcast, and we welcome from Portland, Oregon, Alice Flynn. How are you, Alice? I am fantastic. Thank you for inviting me on your show today. Well, you have quite a story to tell, and there's quite a story behind the story, as they say. Uh, Alice Flynn is author of the book, The Heroes of Hosingen. Her father, First Lieutenant Thomas Flynn, was among those who were part of a defensive stand at Hosingen, a community in Luxembourg, at the start of the Battle of the Bulge in World War II in late 1944. Before she wrote the book about Hosingen, she wrote a book about her father, uh, which she called Unforgettable. Uh, more about that uh, later. The Battle of the of the Bulge looms large in American history and, and military history, uh, but this really takes a look at the people who were involved, the men who uh, fought there. Uh, what was the significance of what happened in Hosingen? Actually, the story of what happened to the 110th Infantry Regiment. They were um, part of the 28th Infantry Division, which was a former Pennsylvania National Guard. And they were stationed along the front line that was uh, four miles from the border of Germany. They were one, the ones that were told to hold at all costs uh, when Hitler started to fight them on the 16th. And so they didn't know, all the communication had been cut, and so they didn't know what was going on, but the commanding officers told them, you know, hold it all costs, we don't know what's going on, but, you know, we'll try and get you more men. But they never wound up getting any support from any other units, and they wound up holding out for two and a half days, regardless of, you know, being surrounded by 20 tanks and 10 times as many men. They did a fantastic job and held up, Hitler's army long enough for the 101st Airborne to get to Bastogne on day three. You know, they were very important in, in that story, and if, you know, it would have been a totally different scenario if Germans had got to Bastogne before the 101st Airborne got there. So their sacrifice was important to the cause, but there, there theirs really was a sacrifice. Um, at the end of, of holding off the Germans, uh, the... the uh, 110th, or this particular unit, surrendered? Absolutely. There was, um, most of the men actually, with the, the, the whole 110th, either were killed or captured. Very few of them were allowed to uh, escape to Bastogne. There was a few that made it back there, but um, there was actually 23,000 men that were captured during the Battle of the Bulge, so there was quite a few along that entire front line. There was a number of units, not just the 28th Infantry Division, but the 110th was the one that was actually ordered to stay where they were and, and not to retreat. So, And your father was an officer, a first lieutenant? He was. He um actually been in the service for seven years before that, So, but he was... You know, had been in the States training troops and so forth until after the D-Day invasion. And then in September, he came over and was a replacement troop. And so uh, in the Hurricane Forest that happened in November, halfway through, they had had a lot of, um, you know, killed in action and wounded and so forth. And so he wound up taking over K Company mm -hmm. in the middle of that battle. And then um, he only had, there was like 20 of them out of the whole company that survived that battle and went to to Hosingen. So I think that's very significant in itself because most of the men that were in K Company when they were in Hosingen were brand new replacement troops with very little training. So 
that in itself, I think, is fairly significant. That's like 75% of the company. We're talking with Alice Flynn on the Historian's Podcast. First, she was the author of Unforgettable, a biography of her father, First Lieutenant uh, Thomas Flynn, who fought in the Battle of the Bulge and also was imprisoned by the uh, the, the Nazis, a, a you know, terrible time in, indeed. Um, and when that first book came out, I get, and this is, maybe we're getting more into the story behind the story, you, it, it won some awards, I believe, from veterans groups and things like that. And you've, you sort of touched a, a chord among uh, the descendants of people who fought in the Battle of the Bulge. I did, and it was really incredible. I, I knew because my dad had been an officer and the captain of the unit um, had actually been killed as a prisoner of war. So when he was liberated from the prisoner of war camp, they actually had um, they had military historians with each of these units as they went around to capture what was going on. And so they, they found who, out who dad was, and so they did extensive interviews of him before he was released back to the States. And so a lot of military historians had found his uh his report in the National Archives mm-hmm. and used them in their books. And so I, I knew that I actually had access to information that other people might not have because of who my dad was. So I made sure that I, not only in my book, I provided a little, as much information as I could to people mm-hmm. who were interested in the story because they had a family member there. But I also built a website, and after I published my dad's book, I primarily did that for my family, I didn't intend for a lot of people or expect a lot of people to buy it, but I started having people contact me who had found the book. They were looking for the story of what happened in Hosingen, and they were like, my dad fought with your dad, and you just filled in all the missing pieces, and it was really an amazing experience for all of them and, and for me, and because they then shared their father's stories with me, so it just... It gave me so much more information mm-hmm. that I felt like I really needed to rewrite my dad's war part of his story and make him just one of the cast of characters and really recognize the contributions that this unit had done. And and not just K Company, but the other men that were assigned to the town. There was only 300 of them total. Mm. You know, what they had accomplished in the first three days is so undertold and unknown that I just wanted to make that story you know, out there, put that out there for people to learn about. They must have known, or maybe they didn't, when they were holding out, that they couldn't hold out, but they, you know, they kept fighting anyway. They did. Well, the 3rd Battalion commander, who was Major Milton, was just a few miles away, um, and he kept telling them that he was going to send um, another unit to bring them more ammunition. They were only given one am- one days of ammunition at a time, and every day they got a new supply. And so they knew that they didn't have a lot of ammo, and Major Milton kept promising he'd send them. And so, um, and but that never happened. And so at the end of the first day of fighting, actually, five tanks from the 707th showed up, and they were expecting the Germans to be holding the town. They were surprised that the Americans were still there. So they actually helped with the defense, um, and then the engineers had gotten involved earlier in the day, and they shared their ammunition. And so it was just a real collaboration of all these smaller groups of men that worked together to really do what they did. It's quite an accomplishment what they had 
mm-hmm. you know, they were able to put together and, and defend the town for two and a half days until they actually ran out of ammunition and wound up surrendering. And once they surrendered, in a sense, their uh, troubles were were beginning or continuing. I mean, were they tortured when they were, uh, and what happened to them? Well, the Germans didn't torture that I've ever read about. I mean, they, they definitely killed people. Um, there was a lot of, of the soldiers that were frustrated and angry with the Americans for, you know, seeing their, obviously, what they'd done, you know, Men in Hosingen had killed or wounded almost 2,000 of their soldiers, and they had very few that were killed. But the Germans themselves at that point in the war were really struggling. They didn't have a lot of food themselves, and so the prisoners were basically starved most of the time. They had very little food to even give them. Not that they were trying to starve them, but they just didn't have any themselves. And so, you know, they were marched the Allies were bombing the trains constantly, and so instead of being um, transported from place to place on trains, they were forced to walk. And, of course, it was the coldest winter on record in Germany at the time, and so a lot of these men were marched hundreds of miles with very... um, Some of them didn't even have shoes at that point, Mm -hmm. and they had very poor winter clothing on, and so it was just... You know, the fact of little food and little water and being forced to march and horrible conditions once they did get to the POW camp. Um, One other question. dramatic on all of them. One other question. I think they all suffered from it after the war for many years. One other question. Uh, uh, Did your father talk about what happened to him in the war or... Or was much of this, as you did research for the both books, uh, a surprise to you? Oh, everything surprised me. We knew maybe a handful of facts that he told us, and then um, we knew he had been a prisoner of war. We knew the unit he was with. He had a Purple Heart, and but he really didn't want to share very many stories. And he he told each one of us. I'm the youngest of eight children. He told each one of us maybe one or two little stories. And so when I started working on this, I really tried to pump all my siblings for any information they had and put it in here. And we actually found some documents that my dad had left at the house and my mom had not discovered. And um, he listed all the POW camps that he'd been to and how long he'd been there and what the treatment was like. He filled out an application for VA medical benefits and he had to really support why he wanted felt like he deserved full benefits, which they ultimately accepted. But um, So that was an amazing document in itself, and other people might have access to that same information that my dad did, you know, through their own parents. But mm-hmm. it really gave me, a, uh, like, a blueprint of where to start searching. And so the Internet was amazing. There's a mm-hmm. Google Books has uh, a feature in it where you can put in keyword searches, and it pulls up any books that talk about that mm-hmm. subject. And um, that was really critical to me finding the important books that really gave me a lot of the information that I was able to, you know, pull in and make a really comprehensive story. When did your uh, father pass away? 1993. So I didn't even start working on this till 2009. And so it was, it was so, um, everybody in my family was just blown away by what Mm -hmm. I was able to find out. And 
even my mom, when I got done writing my dad's biography, she finally, she said, I finally feel like I know the man I was married to after 51 years. And so, you know, it was pretty impactful for all of us, I think, to really um, understand who he was, why he was kind of withdrawn, and, you know, he wasn't, uh, you know, a very emotional person, mm-hmm. and he was just kind of there. He never really got involved with a lot of stuff that went on with family. I mean, he had eight kids. He would mm-hmm. take one or two and do things, but not really as a group. So yeah. it just, it helped really all of us, I think, put our relationship with him in perspective and where, appreciate him so much more. Where did you folks... Pardon me? Where did you folks live? We grew up in southwest Iowa. My dad had actually, was born and raised in Manhattan but after the war, after being in prisoner war camps and so forth, he did not want to go live in Manhattan. He wanted to be in wide open country, and he wanted to have his own job. So he got his veterinary degree at the Iowa State University, and uh, he started a veterinary practice in uh, Kimbleton, mm-hmm. Iowa, where my, where we, my mom had grown up and where we lived. On the Historian's Podcast, we're talking to Alice Flynn about her books, The Heroes of Hosingen, about a major battle during the larger battle of the Bulge in World War II, also a book called Unforgettable, the life story of her father, Thomas Flynn, who fought in that battle and was imprisoned by the Nazis. We'll continue with Alice in just a moment. You're listening to The Historian's Podcast, and we have begun our fund drive for 2017. It's a GoFundMe campaign. Go to GoFundMe.com forward slash Historians 2017 and make a donation. We'd really appreciate it. Our goal is $3,500 for the campaign this year. Last year, we raised just over $2,600. If you don't want to do the computer thing for donations, you can send a check made out to me, Bob Cudmore, C-U-D-M-O-R-E, 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. Again, we're talking with Alice Flynn about the Battle of the Bulge in her books, The Heroes of Hosingen and Unforgettable. I want to bring in uh, my good friend and colleague Dave Green to the program. How you doing, Dave? Fine, Bob. Thank you for asking. Well, it's always good to have Dave on the show. Uh, the the main guy at Eastline Studios where we record the show and often a co-host. But when I was getting ready to interview Alice Flynn, I kn- knew from Dave uh, that your father, Dave, had served in the Battle of the Bulge, had been imprisoned uh, by the uh, Germans, and then came back to upstate New York. And Dave, your dad was was named, maybe we didn't ever say, Morton Green. And you were saying, as best as you understand it, he started out as a private, but so many people were killed in his unit that he was promoted upward. And uh, that might have been the, the reason for the torture, because he ended up being seen as kind of an officer in the in that unit. Possibly. He's listed on his discharge papers as a private, but I do recall him saying at one time that he did receive a battlefield commission. Now, how that worked and how they took it away, I have no idea. I think it went something like this. We don't have anybody in charge here, Mr. Green. You're the guy today. And also, and I remember Dave telling me this story uh, over the years that we talked about his 
uh, father's experiences in World War II, that when he came home, what he got for uh, you know for recuperation was about a week up in Saranac Lake, which is sort of a resort here in upstate New York. Well, they sent him up to Lake Placid, and they gave they told him that the running joke and the the only thing he ever did mention from time to time was the running joke after his discharge from there was we're sending you to Lake Placid for two weeks R and R, and you can have all the free milk you can drink. And also, I think uh, Dave found this out from you, uh, Alice, that um, when he or maybe he had his discharge papers. Uh, or did, well, I, I, I'm asking the question about what they, what was that little phrase the government used in his discharge papers that you thought was sort of odd? Oh, the, he was discharged, and uh, maybe your dad, uh, his discharge papers say the same thing. Miss Flynn, I don't know, but he was discharged for the convenience of the government. I don't think my dad said those specific words, but yeah, that's that was a, they were called a drawdown, I think, on their troops, and so my dad's eyesight had gone from perfect vision to very poor um, as a result of lack of nutrition and, you know, his treatment during the POW days. So that was their excuse for getting rid of him is because his eyesight had gotten so bad. And you said they tra- they often transferred prisoners between and among prison camps. They did. did. Um, and I don't know how common that was, but I know there was a number of stories of the men that I've studied. My dad in particular he went to Stalag 9B, first of all, because um, a lot of the men from the, the town went there. And the private stayed, but they, the Geneva Convention had um, said that the officers and enlisted men should be separated. So they took the officers and actually had them and moved them to the Hamelberg camp. Um, the, the officer camps were usually called Uthlags, and the, the enlisted men were stayed at the Stalags. And that's kind of the rule of thumb. It's not necessarily, mm-hmm. um, you know, accurate for every single story. But that's, And so my dad, he'd gone to Hamelberg, and then near Easter in 1945, that camp had actually, um, there had been an escape attempt by a tank unit. Patton sent his, he was the name of the officer, but he sent a tank unit in to try and liberate his son-in-law, who was now at the camp. He'd been moved to the camp. And so... Because the camp um, had been, all the fences had been knocked down, they, they wound up making the officers then march to, they recaptured a lot of them or killed them, and then they made them march to the next camp, which was at Nuremberg, and that was another 90 to 100 miles away. And they chose to walk because every time they got on a train, the Allied forces were bombing them still, and there was, um, or the you know the smaller planes would strafe, the trains as they were going along, and so it was more dangerous to be in the train mm-hmm. than to be on the ground. And so if they would be walking from camp to camp, and then once they got to Nuremberg, that camp was really not in existence anymore, and so they marched another 100 miles to Moosburg camp, where he was finally liberated at the end of the war. So, you know, that's, that's a lot of the officers that were with the 110th. I think that's kind of what happened to a lot of them. And the Hamelberg camp where they were at is... The one that they always um, was the one that was in um, Hogan's Heroes. You remember really? that TV story? Yes, yes. Yeah, that that was supposed to be the camp that my dad was at. And so, as children, my dad would never let us watch that when he was around because he didn't see the humor in the story. Right. So, I'm sure. Which I understand, but um, so that that's kind of what happened. And I know some of the medics that were in Hosingen, they. They were marched for over a thousand kilometers. They basically 
there were so many prisoners. There was no place for them to be housed at. They wound up just marching them from place to place to place. And so um, one of the, the medics, um, last name was Erickson, he actually, his weight went from 190 pounds down to around 90 pounds over that period because he just, lack of food and just marched constantly. And it's ama- amazing that he survived. In, in doing the research for your uh, book, the Her- again, it's The Heroes of Hosingen, were you able to talk to survivors of this or, or, or veterans who are still alive or talk to a lot of them? I wound up being able to talk with probably six or seven of them. There's one gentleman that's still alive and lives in Florida. He was actually wounded the day before um, my dad took over the unit in, in, um, in the Hurricane Forest. But I talked to a gentleman, um, the water tower, I don't know if you read the story at all, but the water tower in Hosingen was the tallest structure in the north end of town. And so there was one of the gentlemen who was in charge of the mortars, his name was James Arbella. He lived in the D.C. area, and so I was there on a business trip, so I took an opportunity to go meet him. And so he remembered my dad, which is really cool. So mm-hmm. I, it was great to talk to him, and there was... Um, several other men that I talked to, but they all, none of them were with my dad in the unit. They were either wounded while he was there or they were with a different company. But it was pretty incredible to hear their own personal stories. And I mean, it really helped me get a feel for what my dad had gone through. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was pretty amazing for me. Well, Dave, I don't know if you can see our clock, but we have just a couple of minutes left. Uh, Any any final thoughts for Alice Flynn? No, you've, uh, since I said that you set up a lifetime of questions, you've set up another <laughs> lifetime of questions. But I want to thank you very, very much for the information you gave me. I had, pretty, I, had, I had given up. Years ago, I tried to retrieve my father's medals that were lost somewhere along the way, his combat infantry badge and some others. And I got a hold of the people in Kansas City. Never, I didn't get a hold of anybody. They never responded to anything. There was a big fire out there in 1966. There's a quick question for you. Did that get in the way of a lot of your research? For my dad, no, but I know it has for a lot of other people. You know, there were 16 million men that actually fought in World War II, and the National Archives records that they put in their online database is less than 10 million. So, you know, that tells you right there that was a significant number of um, records were lost during that fire. And it wasn't just because of the fire. It was because sprinkler systems got everything wet, and by the time they got to all the boxes, the, the documents have gotten moldy and ruined, So, um, which was a shame because there's a lot of people out there who just don't have information unless they, their fathers had saved it. Okay, and, and Alice, uh, if people want to find out more about uh, your efforts with veterans or maybe personal information, uh, what is your uh, website for the Heroes of Hosingen? Well, it's www.heroesofhosingen.com, and Hosingen is S-O-S-I-N-G-E-N. Um, I have a lot of amazing information on there for anybody who's interested in the story. Uh, my books are both available on Amazon, and it, both Kindle and paperback. And, um, but I still have the website for my first book, which is called unforgettableveteran.com as well. So well, I've kept a lot of my resource material, uh, unit reports and everything that I had. I wanted other people to be able to access everything that I had used. So 
Okay. A lot of it's out there, too. Alice, I'm sorry. I would love for anybody I'm who's sorry, a family just... member that's fought Hosingen to contact me. Okay, I'm sorry. We're just out of time. Alice Flynn, the heroes of Hosingen, the book. I'm Bob Cutmore. <laughs>